This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. My name is Alex Fitton, and I am so excited to say that I am your host because this is really fun. I hope you guys have fun too because I definitely do. Um, today, I have a really, um, I, I want to say fun guest, and she's totally a fun guest, but I also think it's just a really interesting topic. So my guest is Ashley Bertine, and she is a stay-at-home mom and a foster parent to six children. That's a lot. Um, they have three biological children, one adopted child, and two foster children. Her husband, Luke, is also a pediatric therapist at TheraPlay, and so a lot of their lives are dedicated to helping care for, raise, and better the lives of children. Um, so I want to note that this is not a professional or clinical conversation, but it was just a casual discussion between two adoptive moms about mental health stuff having to do with adoption. So it was, you know, when when ma- we as moms are struggling with things like uh, depression and anxiety or even, you know, something like bipolar disorder or anything like that, you know, how we manage those things while we live out our calling. And so it was just, I just want to make that disclaimer that there, you know, neither of us are a counselor or a therapist. We were just talking about our experiences with those things. But it was a really, really great conversation. And I'm really excited for you guys to listen in on it. Um, Before we jump in, I want to remind you guys of a couple of opportunities to get connected with me and other adoptive moms who listen to the podcast and just share in this life. Um, And the first is the Facebook group. So the Adoptive Mom Facebook group, it's not just for moms, I will say. It's pretty much just for anyone who listens to the podcast, Um, but it's also for support systems, uh, birth moms, even dads. A lot of my guests are in there, so there are some boys in there. It's not just a girls-only club, but if you want to get connected, then that is the best way to do it. The link is always in the show notes, but you can just go to Facebook and search for Adoptive Mom Community, and you will find us there. Um, The second is my email list. It goes out every Monday morning. And it's just a really great, it's all in one place. You know, you have the episode to click on right there. You have all kinds of links. I always share a little note just from me that I don't share anywhere else. And you get just some photos that I don't always put online. So it's, um, it's just a really great way to get connected. And that's at the adoptedmompodcast.com slash email. But again, it's in the show notes. All right, that's it, you guys. Uh, I hope you really enjoy my conversation with Ashley Bertine. All right, everyone, welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast, and I'm sitting here with Miss Ashley Bertine. I'm excited for you guys to get to know her, and we're going to be covering, a, I, I guess, a decently hard topic. We're going to be talking about mental health and how, what it all it has to do with adoption. But before we get into all of that just really fun conversation, <laughs> Ashley, take a second and just introduce yourself and your family. My name is Ashley Bertine. Um we, I should say, we have currently have six children, and I say that because uh, I am a stay-at-home mom, but my husband and I also do foster care. And uh, currently, right now, we have six kids. Like I said, um, we have three biological children, 
one child that we adopted through the system. And then we also have two foster children right now. And uh, Luke and I have been married uh, for about 11 years now, almost. You're in the double digits. I know, right? Um, And uh, he is a therapist at... um, Theraplay Pediatrics. And so he and I both devote a lot of our time and attention to taking care of children, helping children, and just have both of us equally have a desire to just better the lives of children. Yeah. So. You guys like don't get out, like you don't escape children. Like no. he goes to work, works with children, comes right. home. Works. Yeah. It's yes. a lot of a lot of kids. It is. It's interesting because I um I get this a lot and I'm interested to hear your answer on this. So because we are an adoptive family, people assume that we just really love kids. Right. And they're interested to hear that we actually don't love kids that right. much. Right. Nope. Yep. <laughs> are you the same way? Yes. Yes. It's I, so weird. <laughs> I know. I actually um, had a job for a little bit working um, kind of at a daycare and I, it was so hard. Yeah. Like I just realized very quickly that I can't do this. I can't take care of children as a job and then come home and take care of what feels like being in another daycare. <laughs> yes. Oh no. 100%. So, yeah. I learned that really quickly. It was good, but yes, no. Yeah. So, okay. I, and I want to talk about our topics. Um, but before we, before we do that, I, I, you know, you said that you have six kids, two of them are foster, three of them came out of your body. Yes. And then one did not. So tell me about your adoption story and what, what got you there and how that's worked out for you guys. Okay. Uh, like I said, my husband works at a pediatric, um, clinic and so, uh, they do physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. And, um, our son was, uh, actually a patient there and Luke didn't actually see him. He was being seen for, uh, speech and occupational therapy, but he heard about him through the other therapists that work there and that there was this little boy who um, had had his parental rights terminated, was in the foster care system, and um, his current foster family did not feel called to adopt him. Mm. And both Luke and I, if, even when we were just dating, we both talked about how if we were to get married, we both have a strong heart for adoption. There's adoption on both sides of our family. And um, and so we talked about how eventually we would like to do that. I just had, I had no plans of it being as soon as it, as it did. Yeah. But, you know, that saying many are the plans of man's heart, but the Lord directs his steps. And this is definitely the situation in this case. And so <laughs> Luke came home to me and told me about this little boy that, you know, the, his situation. And I had a six month old at the time. And mm-hmm. I said, that is, that is sad. And I will commit to praying for him. <laughs> But little did I know, he was starting to feel like kind of the stirring. And and I absolutely did not because that just, (laughs) that was not, I'm a planner. That was not in my plan at the time. I thought, you know, we'd rear our kids and then maybe... As they got a little bit older, we would we would dabble in adoption. Um, ridiculous, but eh, you know, at the time, that was my very um, naive understanding of adoption and all that goes with it. So, yeah. anyway, um, it just ended up being something that just kept popping up, popping up, popping up about this little boy, and um, it got to a point where we felt like it was almost disobedience to ignore it any longer. Mm. And so we looked into it. And before we knew it, we were going through the call. We were opening up our home. Um, we 
And and ironically, everyone told us, do not be surprised if this just doesn't end up happening because just so many different things can happen. Right. But sure enough, the the foster family that he was with uh, agreed to keep him in their home. And we opened up and he was placed with us in April and we adopted him in December of 2014. So it was a very quick scenario because his parental rights had already been terminated. Right. And then, of course, you know, you have to have them in your home for six months before you can legally adopt them. And so, yeah, so we had three children, boom, just like that. And the 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 situation that I should probably definitely um, explain, because this definitely has has a tie into our story, is that um, uh, our our youngest son was 15 months when we adopted Ryder, and Ryder was 18 months. So they are just three months apart. Yeah. And so it's just constantly. And then we had another child at the time that was, um, what that make him four, I guess. And so, um, you know, we had essentially twins Yeah, that were not twins. I mean, they were not, you know, in utero together. They did not experience everything together. And so they were just kind of placed together mm-hmm. at a pretty formative time. Um, and so I had, you know, just a lot of concerns around all of that. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how it went. And we have been learning as we go since. Yeah. And, you know, we have those accidental twins, too. And it is so weird when you have one that's neurotypical and one that's not. And seeing how, like, as a mom, getting to watch those development, developmental, like, you know, stages and uh, milestones and mm-hmm. seeing them hit them at different times. And it's, it's just, I don't even have like a specific example, but it's just interesting to watch all of that unfold Yes, and how that works and how one child reacts to something and how the other, it's just, it's weird because they're, they're the same age. Right. And I even refer to mine as the twins cause it's easier. Yes. So do we, but it's just like, it's, I don't know. It's very interesting. And then, so something else that's interesting, a connection between Ashley and I. So we both had, another baby at the same time that Mm -hmm. was a surprise baby. (laughs) Yes. And so our, my Jane and her Eliza are like what? One month apart Mm -hmm. or two weeks. No, they're like two weeks apart. Are they really? Because Eliza's toward the end of March, right? She's April 11th. That's right. And Jane is April 21st. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're like two weeks apart. Mm -hmm. And so when we met, both of us were pregnant, but like not really telling everyone. Mm -hmm. And um, And we both had teenagers. We did. And we were at a training together and we Mm -hmm. were both like, so I'm actually pregnant. And I was like, no way. So am I. (laughs) I know that is true. (laughs) I had forgotten about that until like just now. I was like, oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, that's right. Um, So yeah, we both have walked. I mean, even though your bio kids are older than mine, we've walked pretty similar routes of like having a teenager and how all of that's worked and having a surprise baby and having the accidental twins. And, Mm -hmm. um, and we have some other stuff in common as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I guess we can just dive into that. Uh, so both of us are taking currently anti-anxiety medication, right. And we've had that official diagnosis. And so I am really excited. I think this has been a long time coming. I've had a lot of people reach out to me and talk about uh, mental health and adoption and Mm -hmm. how, um, how those two things work together. And so I'll, I'll just confess, like I, this is, this is a big topic to hold. And, Mm -hmm. I want to do it right. And I want to have a great discussion. And I think that that's, that's hard. It's not hard for me to talk about that stuff, but it's mainly, I just want to make sure that, I don't know, we cover everything, but I, I guess maybe we should start with just how did you get diagnosed? Where did you start with knowing that, you know, knowing that you struggle with something, putting a name to it and addressing it? Mm -hmm. For me, it was definitely 
it just started out, I think, with a lot of perfectionistic tendencies. Mm -hmm. And so I always knew that about myself, that I liked things a certain way, that um, I was 110% or not at all. Um, And so I knew that. But of course, you only know so much until you are kind of pushed to the brink. And I think that there's something about adoption that that it pushes you to that brink Mm -hmm. and it amplifies a lot of a lot of issues. I mean, if you have them, it's going to bring them forth. Um, but I don't say that to like scare people away. It's just it's just a natural process of adding someone to your life who did not biologically come from you. And there's naturally just going to be that process of working through it. Mm-hmm. And some people, it is it it goes fairly smoothly. Um, for us, it was very different. And I, I do think that some of that kind of... Um, was definitely am- amplified due to my anxiety. Um, but so I would just, I, I say that because I noticed it a lot more. I was a lot more fractious. I was a lot more um, irritable. Um, mm. And I just felt like I was out of control when we began to, um, you know, really dive into stuff with, with, I mean, after we had adopted Ryder and we were starting to really kind of look at how does this work as a family and because of his higher needs um writer was uh ex- exposed to meth in utero and um and so with that come some complications and some issues that that arise now does that define him absolutely not but there are some some it just adds some different dynamics mm-hmm. um and some different things to work through yeah um and so um you know, with that coupled with my not knowing at the time anxiety, it just kind of um, it it made me more aware that there was something going on. And so, um, just as we continued to progress, like you know, my husband would say to me, "You just seem angry all the time." Mm-hmm. Um, and then my mom would even say, um, "And my and and it's been it's been a struggle, I think, for my mom to get on board with this whole path of like adoption slash foster care." And so her solution, just like everybody else's solution would be, you seem really irritable. You seem, you seem kind of a little unhappy at times. Maybe this just isn't right for you right now. And it was hard because it was something that I felt like God had called us to. Yeah. And so I think there, you know, that's a, that's a whole nother, you know, kind of issue too, as far as like, just I'm doing something that I feel like God has called me to but I can't manage that. Mm-hmm. What What's wrong with me? You know, why can't I do this? And I think there's also this assumption that if God calls you to it, then it'll be easy. And that was so not the case. Um, so just dealing with all those things and the fact that I, you know, perfection, perfectionists oftentimes struggle with pride. I mean, it's just a human nature thing, but I really struggled with pride. I didn't really want to name anything because if I, if I named it, then I would have to deal with it. And so I just kind of pushed it away and just kept telling myself, I can do this. Like I can just push through. It's just, it's a hard time. I can do this. We can just push through it. And, um, and it just got to a point like just various issues just happened and it was kind of a trifecta i had given birth to my daughter eliza um we were going to move into a new home um this was all after we had adopted Ryder, and um the house fell through at like the 11th hour we had to move in with my parents um and then on top of that i had um an appendicitis and had to go into the hospital and have my appendix removed and just all of this surmounted and 
it was just to a point where I'm like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I think God's gracious and he brings you to a point where he's like, you, you can't do this anymore. And, and for some people, you know, that's not always medication. So I'm not insinuating that that should be the route that everyone should go. But for me, the solution for me was medication yeah. and it, and it, but it, it just, all these situations kind of, um, brought me to a point where I realized I, I can no longer do this on my own and I need medication in order to see clearly again. And so um, I went to my primary care physician and talked with her and she said, you know, it really does sound like that it would be good for you at this time to get on something. And so I did. And it was an amazing game changer because I was also starting to see physical manifestations from it. I was starting to get fibromyalgia. And, um, and so she put me on something that helped with that. And then also helped with the, I thought it was depression at first because I was just so low. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, just realizing through working through a lot of stuff, because I'm also a big proponent of, I don't think you should just medicate. I really think that you need to also couple that with counseling and work through because it's not, you know, medication is a band aid um, at times. Um, and it's important, I think, to work through your, through your stuff, yes. you know? And so, um, and I, and that's something that I would suggest for anyone going through adoption is to talk with a counselor, regardless of whether they have mental health issues oh, yeah. or not. Oh, I'm a huge, like, if you're Ugh. an adoptive, like you need to be in counseling. Yes. That's yes. just, that's, that's a given. Yep. <laughs> yep. Tune up, you yeah. know? And so, yeah. I, so I, like, as you were talking you, every, every time you would say something, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I got to write that down because there's so many, there's so much there. There's Mm -hmm. so much meat there that we need to talk about. And first of all, I I feel like I should share mine too, is that, you know, mine was that it was after I had Jane and I had struggled with postpartum anxiety after Grady. I think I've always been a pretty high strung person. So it's not like it just was on set, you know, after I had Grady, but it just definitely like hormones made it worse. And I didn't know what it was because I'd heard of postpartum depression, but I didn't know that you could have postpartum anxiety. And I just knew that I was a basket case Mm -hmm. and um, like Brian didn't handle it well. And he would tell you that now too. And I just was going insane, but then I got pregnant again, like within Grady's first year. Mm -hmm. And so the the pregnancy hormones kind of balanced it out. So it like went away for a moment. And then I had Jane and I had, she was like, a month old maybe. And I had my first panic attack postpartum. Okay. And I just remember, cause again, Brian is so much better now, but at the time he was like, what's happening to my wife. And he was just, didn't handle it well. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, you know, Jane needed to be nursed and I'm like sitting there hyperventilating and he's like, you need to pull it together and nurse her. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I was like, I can't, I can't. Mm-hmm. And that was the scariest feeling, feeling like I could not take care of my child. Mm-hmm. And that was, I made an appointment the next day to like get, on something. And, Mm -hmm. um, and you're right. It is a bandaid because that was, that was the beginning of the process. Right. Um, but it was then that I, that that's when I started to research even anxiety. Cause I think people don't want to, they don't want to do research over something that doesn't feel real to them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same reason that I watched all the labor and delivery videos, but no C-section videos. Cause that wasn't going to happen to me. Right. And then it did, mm-hmm. you know, and it's the same, like, you're not going to research anxiety, medi- anxiety medication or, uh, struggles if you don't have that or if you don't want to have that. And so that's when I started that journey of of figuring out what exactly was going on in me mm-hmm. and um, how it all worked out and especially how it correlated with our adoption process. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, in a way, I just wonder how our story would be different if it weren't for my anxiety. 
um, I almost wonder if that made me more vigilant to like get the paperwork done and have everything done correctly or get these kids in our home or whatever else. Do you feel that way too? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Like it, it, did it, do you think that it's made you more of a fighter? For sure. I mean, it's a double-edged sword, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a weapon to fight with, but it's also a weapon that can cause self-harm. Yeah. So how would you say that it, um, how would you say that it's benefited you? Which is such a weird question to ask, right? Yes. <laughs> How has your mental health issue benefited you? <laughs> um, I think, I mean, just like any, that's a good question. I think that it's mainly, like you said, been made me more of a fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, probably pursue things um, that normal people would go, this is too hard. I shouldn't say normal. That's not what I meant. But someone maybe who, who, didn't struggle with some of the things that I struggle with might say like, this is just, eh. but I think I'm not going to do this anymore. But I think for me, it was just, it made me a little bit more stubborn, I guess. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm just going to, I'm going to push through this. We're going to do this. Yeah. But yet at the same time, I mean, it can be to your detriment too. So you have to be careful. Yeah. Well, and that was actually the next thing I'd written down was, have you struggled with balancing when to power through and when to call it quits? Because I feel like for me, that's almost been, you know, I don't want to quit. I don't want to fail, mm-hmm. which is another big word for me Ooh, Yeah, is failure and perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, it's like you go way past the, the breaking point. Mm-hmm. And I feel like because of anxiety, I'm able to not thrive, but I'm able to survive at right. way higher levels of stress, which is not healthy. But I don't know. Do you struggle with that balance of when to, when to quit, when to power through? We had eight children in our home at one time because <laughs> that was the limit. You could have up to eight children, no more. Mm-hmm. And because of the anxiety, like you said, operating at a higher level of stress, just used to it because you had to, to survive and thrive. Right. Um, I think it's just easy. And then on top of that, just having a very um, independent, I can do this type personality, you know, I am woman, hear me roar. Um <laughs> That, you know, I'm thinking, well, I mean, you know, eight's, eight's the max. I mean, I can do eight. I can do, you know, and, and it's through doing that I found my limits. And now we set much better boundaries um, because it was, is crippling at times. Um, it was good. It, it's awesome because God works through things. Yes. Um, he uses everything and nothing is wasted, honestly. Uh, so he used it to touch kids' lives and to shape our lives, um, just to bring stories together. Uh, it's It's been amazing to see him work. But at the same time, I've definitely learned valuable lessons about boundaries and how important they are. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it, though, that, that you know, you, and I think that, that that can be another double-edged sword is you're like, well, I'm seeing Jesus work. Right. So it must be good. Yes. And, you know, I'm forgetting that, you know, he turns beauty to ashes. That's like part of his thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you think that this is, this is a good thing in theory. So it has to be good. And that doesn't always mean that it's good for you or good for your family. And right. it's also hard. I think that, you know, we, not that we look down on people who can't, who don't adopt, but it's like, I don't know. I think that, you know, we talked about pride. There's a, there's a, a piece of it that's like, no, I committed to doing this. So right. I'm going to do it and I'm mm-hmm. not going to be one of those quitters or one of those people who says it's too hard or, mm-hmm. you know, so come hell or high water. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. Man, it's hard. So on that note, though, do you, because here's something that I do is it's hard for me to operate when things are okay, because I think that I'm just on the lookout for the next bad thing. So it's not that I self-destruct, but maybe like I create chaos in my mind because I know it's coming and it's just easier to stay up, stay vigilant, not relax. Do you see that too? Mm -hmm. Definitely. It is, it's very difficult for me to relax. I think, um, just, I mean, we've, we've been doing foster care now for five years. So it started with our son Ryder and opening up specifically to adopt him. And then we just saw the need. And of course, you know, my perfectionistic, um, I can do this. I can meet that need, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but it was a good, it was a good thing. It was a good desire. Um, it just, it just spiraled out of control, Yeah, (laughs) but, um, yeah, so um I forgot what you asked me. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I was just saying, do you do you feel like you create chaos in your mind to keep yourself? I up? think I think that that's why we've taken so many children mm-hmm. is because it's like too, it's that if I have to stop and think about things, I I don't know if I can handle mm-hmm. what I'm going to be thinking about. You know, and so it's almost like if I just stay busy, that busy mentality, busy, 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 busy. And so I think that that's definitely why we took on so many children. I mean, we had 16 children under two years Um, and it was just it was too much. It was too much on me, too much on my husband, too much on our children. Um, And so I I think that, yeah, I mean. it, It was Yes. I think the busy, the busyness. Yeah. Um, and just always never feeling, never allowing myself to necessarily, like you said, um, slow down or relax because I'm always wondering what, what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. What's going to, what's going to go on? What's, what's going to be thrown at us next? Yeah. And, and I think it's just also the atmosphere, um, not necessarily with adoption because I mean, when the adoption is done, it's done. But if you're going through the route of like fostering to adopt, you know, you just, there's never any guarantees un- until it is done. Yeah. Um, I have seen and heard crazy things in the 11th hour, you know. Um, yeah. And so there's always that cause for anxiety, just natural anxiety that anybody would feel in this process. Uh, and then you, like you said, you you add on the component of mental health and it is it is hard, but like you said, God takes our ashes and turns it into beauty. And he says that what he wants is uh, an open and contrite heart. And that's what he's looking for. And mm-hmm. so that was like oftentimes what propelled me, Lord, you, you, you just want me to be open to serving you. And that's what I want. And you'll do the rest. Um, but it's, it's leaving that at his feet, which is what I just don't do very well. I want to pick it back up and add to it. Or, yeah. You know. Well, and, and it's just, it's almost easier because that's what we're used to in our minds. Like exactly. I'm used to not being okay. So when things are okay, I almost don't want to say it. Exactly. Because I don't, I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to be okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to not be stressed. Mm-hmm. When people ask me how I am, if it doesn't immediately, you know, if something hasn't blown up in my face that week and it seems like everything's okay, I'm like, wait a minute, right? what's wrong? I got to like search for something that's wrong because mm-hmm. I can't possibly be okay. I don't mm-hmm. know what to do with that. Right. 
Hey guys, I hope you're really enjoying my conversation about adoption and mental health with Ashley Bratteen. Before we get back to it though, I just have something quick to tell you guys. So you may not know because I certainly don't know about this stuff, but my um, my husband slash producer tells me some really interesting things about how algorithms work. And so here, I'm going to take you to school for just a second. So the way that iTunes algorithm works is that podcasts get seen when people rate and review them. Um, and that's just how it is. So what I need from you guys is to leave me a rate and rating and review. If you guys like this podcast and you think that others might too, that's the best way to help me out. Like the absolute best way to help me is just take a minute, leave a rate and review. And I even have a little incentive for you. So I have a contest that I'm going to run and it is going to run through next Sunday, which is March 31st. And I'm going to randomly select from everyone who leaves a new review and I'm going to send the winner a Target gift card. So go over to iTunes, leave me a rating or review. If you have a problem and you want to leave me a bad rating, private message me, please. I would appreciate that. So leave me a good rating and I will randomly pick a winner to get a Target gift card. All right. Thanks, guys. I think that's when it's important to really have good friends and good support system uh, and have friendships that you can actually be truly vulnerable, truly open and honest. Um, Because, you know, it's through that process of opening up to my friends and then they share how they how they do relax. I mean, it sounds ridiculous. How do you relax? But um, we you know, we have a friend in common who. who takes every Wednesday and she takes the full day after she puts her kids um, on the bus. She takes the full day on Wednesday and does absolutely nothing. She doesn't allow herself to, you know, I mean, she just, it's ways to cope that I've, I've honestly had to kind of learn um, to kind I guess relearn as an adult and as a mother, you know, and a wife. I've how do you cope in that? Because I knew exactly how to cope, you know, just taking care of myself. But right. it's venturing into this new arena of you know caring for people and being a caretaker. And so I think like one of the biggest things that I would really say because you had kind of asked me, like had sent me some questions, you know, and she and you said, what advice do you wish that you you know, had, if someone had given you that you really wish that, and take to heart. And I remember on the car ride up here, I was like, what would I say? And it was, I thought to myself, the same level of care and attention that you give to the children in your home, you should be giving that same level of care and attention to yourself. Mm -hmm. Because that, that saying, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Yeah. There is so much truth to that. Because the mother sets the tone for the family. Yep. And when you're stressed, when you're angry all the time, when you're yelling, that does not foster a conducive atmosphere to for these children to feel loved, accepted, and to and to bring about change. And so you have to be at a place where you are taking care of yourself and you're finding these ways to cope. Um, And, you know, for me that started with medication and then it was um, counseling and it was combined with just having really great friends to talk to and work through finding other adoptive mamas that I could just be raw and open with. Because I think, 
you know, I've definitely heard it on other podcasts that, you know, there, there is, you just don't know what you don't, what you haven't experienced. Right. And so when you've actually experienced it, that there is just fruit there and a camaraderie that is just so golden and so precious. And so to be able to find women that have experienced the same situation and are willing to be vulnerable and go there with you um, and not you, and not to feel judged and then to just be open and share your stories. I think that there, I mean, I know I gleaned so much from you um, and we would talk, even if it was just briefly at church and we're just like, we're drowning. Yep. I'm drowning too. Like it just kind of helped to know that someone was going through the same situation, understood and, you know, just, got it. And there's, there's being known. There's something really important in being known. Yeah. Well, and I have to, I mean, on that note, I, you were one of the first people that was like me too, because, you know, we, we met and started talking before, before the podcast. And I loved how open you were willing to be. And I was not seeing that in other places that people were like, you know, it's fine. Or they just weren't going into detail about like what the struggles were. And I loved that you were like, here it all is like, (laughs) but that's so great because that was what I didn't see. And that's what I needed because I am such a talker. I'm such a person that I relate with other people and I need, I need to share clearly Mm -hmm. (laughs) as I share everything to whoever's listening. (laughs) But, um, it's, you know, you just don't see that that much. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that you're right. There's something there with that camaraderie and being able to um, talk about what you're going through. And part of that is, is what we're going through with our kids from hard places and giving people good eyes to see them with, but where that, where that balances with, um, with our mental health stuff is key. It's mm-hmm. a big deal. Cause when you take trauma and you, you mix it with your own stuff or your, what's going on in your own head, it can be catastrophic or it can be good. And so what are some of those things that you struggled with, with Ryder that would just set you off or with your other foster kids that, you know, you can't mention their names or whatever, but Mm -hmm. like, what were some of the things that, that made it harder for you with your anxiety? I remember one time in particular, um, I don't really know exactly what he (laughs) had done, but um, I remember going into my bed, you know, having dealt with it poorly and feeling just immediately guilty and going into my bedroom and just bawling and thinking to myself, how am I supposed to help this child when I don't even sometimes know how to help myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just feeling just helpless. Um, and that's when I knew that, you know, I, I needed to start to make some changes, um, and that I needed to probably get on medicine to kind of start thinking a little bit more clearly. But I really struggle in general when they fall apart. Um, that is just such a trigger for me. And, um, oftentimes children with meth, when I talk to other moms, when I, there's not a whole lot of research on meth because Mm -hmm. it's such a newer drug. Um, but when I do talk to counselors about it, we have a lot of, you know, counselors from our church and just talking with them about it, you know, what they've seen with, with their, um, patients that have, that have been, had meth exposure in utero and just talking with other moms, you know, it's just that, that inability to regulate. Um, so when they lose their stuff, they lose their stuff and it can be over something as simple as someone took a car from me or you told me, no, you know, I can't wear shorts when it's 30 degrees outside. Um, 
and just literally falling down on the ground, screaming, throwing his head back. And it just, it feels so manipulative. Mm -hmm. And I've realized I hate to feel like I'm being manipulated. And I think it's, I don't know if it plays into respect or like my sense of control. Just like um, justice driven. Yeah. Yes. This justice driven. Right. You are not going to do that. And it, and it does feel manipulative. Um, even though I really don't think, I mean, that's not where it stems. It comes out of, um, it's literally them just not understanding how to regulate themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, but that was a big trigger for me. And and in the beginning, he lost it a lot. I mean, there's so many changes going on for him. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I couldn't see that. All I could see is my own frustration. You know, I mean, I, I, I cared for him and loved him. But a lot of it was just dealing with it poorly, feeling the guilt, and then having the self-hatred. And then, of course, that affects the way that we parent them and see them. You know, because if someone is always triggering you and you're always having this negative response towards them – you start to sometimes see them in like more of a negative light than you do your other children. And that is a road that I did not, it's a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I did not want. I didn't want to go down that path any further. And so that's when I knew that like, okay, some changes need to be made. I think medication would be good. And then I need to go to a counselor and start talking to them about some of the issues, you know, that I am experiencing so that they can, Help me work through it, you know, make sense of it so it doesn't become a pattern because I don't want to pass this type of pattern on to my kids, you know? Yeah. Well, and I, everything you just said, yes, for sure. Like mm -hmm. just the losing control. I mean, for rock, it's like, take your clothes off so we can put your pajamas on. Right. And it's just, I mean, meltdown. Yes. And I don't know what to do with that because that's not logical. And mm -hmm. I'm a very logical person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I want to explain to my three-year-old, like what you're doing doesn't make sense because- right all I've asked you to do is take your clothes off. So please cease your tantrum because this is not logical. Exactly. <laughs> like I want to talk him to death and also noise. No, I cannot handle it. Like I just noise yeah. sets me off. And I mean, to the point where I like, I think I'm so overstimulated all the time that if I'm like watching TV and someone walks in the room, I just pause it immediately. Cause mm -hmm. I can't handle noise mm -hmm. and rock has a lot of noise and I just, I lose it. But then also I think that a good measure for me is I've learned a lot of the behaviors that I hate and I see in, you know, all my kids, but namely my adopted kids, the, just the out of control, the illogical, whatever, you know, when I start to see that in myself, I know that I'm in an unhealthy place. Mm -hmm. Like when I start having like visions of violence, I'm like too far. Yep. Like something has to change, wave the mm -hmm. white flag. Like I am unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I loved, you know, I, I interviewed earlier in the season, Kara K James, who wrote mom up and I loved that in her book, she talked about her anxiety and how she knew that she was unhealthy because she like threw a, a cup against the wall. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, um, yes, that's me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like when I start having visions of throwing things or breaking things. Yes. Oof, man, it's, mm -hmm. it's rough. And I, I mean, seeing those behaviors in them and then seeing them in myself, I, that's a lot of pride to swallow. Mm -hmm. And I, I oh, almost yes. feel like Jesus puts us in those places mm -hmm. so that we can see like, this is how he's feeling. But as a three-year-old, mm -hmm. And you can control yourself and he can't. Mm -hmm. <sighs> That's hard. It is. It most definitely is. Yeah. Well, and just the impulse can, I mean, just all those issues and how they set us off. And um, I don't know, like I, I use that word trigger, like absolutely. They just, they trigger something in us. It's just rage. Mm -hmm. And because we don't know what to do with it. Right. And um, 
yeah, I think that I wanted to ask you also, did, do you struggle with, um, with shame surrounding these things? Shame with the way that you treat your kids, shame with taking medication in the first place, shame that you treat with the way you treat your husband, all of those things. Cause I definitely do at mm-hmm. times. Um, oh, yes. Cause you, you mentioned earlier that you just seemed angry all the time. And that was something mm-hmm. that was told to me multiple times is that, I mean, even recently my husband had to say to me, you just don't seem happy. Mm-hmm. And that's hard because I'm like, I feel happy. Like, I, I think I don't let myself go there. I don't mm-hmm. think about whether or not I'm happy. I don't deserve to yeah. be happy. So it doesn't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. And those are unhealthy thoughts that I just don't even like stop and process. Mm-hmm. What about you? Definitely. I mean, I think it's easy to go into, I call it robot mode, you know, where I'm just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really, I'm just kind of existing, you know? Um, and, and so, yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of, of shame, um, in just how I've handled things in the past. And I think that that's, you know, what has caused the, the depression for me, you know, is just that, like I said, you know, it, you act in ways that you're not proud of and then you feel guilty about it. And then the self hatred talk, you know, comes in like, you're not cut out for this. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you, you want to do, you're, you're trying to do what God's called you to do, but you can't even, you know, like regulate your own self. How are you going to regulate these kids? You're a failure. You shouldn't be doing this. Um, and then that spirals down and it takes you to a place of d- depression, you know? And, um, and so I, I know that shame causes depression. Yeah. I mean, a, enough shame. Um, but I think that you have to come to a place and that's where I feel like counseling is just so important too, is to be able to talk to someone um, where they can, they can, or, or having good friends to listen um, where you can kind of talk about these feelings um, and have them help you work through, like, what is the source of that, you know, or that isn't true. And how can we start to undo those lies that you have chosen to believe? Because they're not true, but they just feel so true. I mean, our fears are just so illogical. Um, and it's amazing, though, how quickly we can just allow ourselves to believe those s- silly, ridiculous things. Mm-hmm. Um and I think you have to be able to put all that behind in order to really move forward and heal. You know, if you're always thinking about how you treated your husband in that instance, it's kind of hard to move forward or how you treated your children. You know, God says his mercies are new every morning. And I just cling to that. Like there have been times in my mom, it's been a mantra, Lord, you're, you say your mercies are new every morning. Your mercies are new every morning. And so I can start again. He doesn't judge me. He gives me, he, you know, it's, it's, it's done. And so I have to choose to live that way too and move to move forward to cope, you know? So that's just been, you know, something that I've had to say, but that doesn't give excuses for the way that we, that we choose to behave. I mean, you need to do something about that, which we both have, <laughs> but I think too, it's just not dwelling so much on the past because it happened. We can't change it. And I think that's where shame gets you. It kind of keeps you trapped. Yeah. Well, and um, we've talked a, a little bit in this conversation about this idea of failure mm-hmm. and how and and what what our line for that is, um, what our mark of failure is. And I said before, you know, I listened to a podcast um, a, a little while ago, and the the guy on there said that perfectionists would rather take a zero than a C minus, mm-hmm. and that just resonated with me so much because I think that anything less than like a one hundred percent is a failure. Mm. And how illogical is that? 
Yeah. But that's how I feel. And, you know, we, we say, we can say that about our kids all day long, that their feelings are real to them. So we have to honor them, but we don't honor those with ourselves, right. that that feeling of failure is real. And so it's like even reverse shaming, you know, mm-hmm. like how can you beat yourself up over something so silly, Alex? And it's like, there's no win for me. And I right. don't give myself that because that feels scary to give myself a win because then I'll get comfortable or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I wanted to ask you, you, you know, you t- I'm glad you said depression because I think that that line can be really blurry sometimes mm-hmm. um, or maybe really thin, however, whatever metaphor you want to use. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I always have this vision of myself like going under when the anxiety gets too high, my body self protects by just going under. Mm -hmm. Like I go dark. I Mm -hmm. don't respond to people Mm -hmm. all of a sudden. I can't handle anything. I can't handle even having an adult conversation. Mm -hmm. It's like, if it's not absolute survival, then I'm, I'm out. Right. And it seems like you're there too sometimes. (laughs) Yes. I can always kind of tell when I'm starting to feel depressed is because like you said, I just pull out of things. I stop responding to friends Um, I just kind of shut down. Um, it's, I sleep a lot, you know, it gets harder for me to get out of bed. I, I feel like when I wake up in the morning, I haven't hardly even slept. Um, I just have this need to sleep all the time, taking naps, even though I've gotten, you know, like nine hours of sleep, you know, I mean, just these telltale signs that I've learned about myself. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's just, um, trying to figure that out and trying to understand um, why those, why those things happen and kind of move forward. Yeah. And trying to figure out when we're unhealthy and Mm -hmm. when we're, when we're okay. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really hard. It is. It's hard to be that judge for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that goes back to why having people in place that can be honest with you Mm -hmm. and that know you well enough to be like, I think, I think you need it reality check here. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's hard because of this whole conversation, I feel like we could go on forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. And I was excited to have this talk with someone who is not an expert. And I say that because, you know, I, I could have talked about mental health with a counselor or a therapist, but you know, I want to have more conversations like this with people who struggle more with depression or mm-hmm. more with even bipolar disorder or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it to be conversational and it's hard because Again, I could just keep going for hours and hours. But the last thing I wanted to ask you about before we move into those clothing questions, and I noticed you have a tattoo on your arm that says enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been like my m- mantra mm-hmm. lately. And so I was really excited to see that because I was like, oh my gosh, that has to do with anxiety so much yes. because you just feel like you will never, mm-hmm. never get there wherever right. there is, right? which is so it's invisible. It doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. There's never a there. There's no. never, you will never arrive. Mm-mm. And with anxiety, we, we tell ourselves, want to bet mm-hmm. I'm going to get there. Right. And it doesn't, it's not going to happen. Right. So what, wh- where are you at with this whole concept of enough? That's a good question. I think it'll probably be an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Um, you know, Paul talks about that thorn in the flesh, which no one will really know exactly what that was. But I think as a perfectionist and a recovering perfectionist, you know, I think that'll always be something that it's going to be easy to kind of go back to, you know? Um, And I think that just learning to um, 
have all these things in play. I mean, just learning more about yourself, about what your triggers are, about how to positively handle these things. I think that you can get closer and closer to feeling like, and it's, but not really feeling like that it's enough because I don't think that that is, I mean, we're, we're never going to be perfect. Right. Ever. Um, but I think just realizing that we are enough in God's eyes. Yes. Um, and that we are enough with him. And that is like the key for me is just like reminding myself, I am never going to get there in my flesh. I am never going to be able to do anything or present anything that is ever going to be enough. Mm-hmm. But Christ in me, I mean, he's already enough. I mean, his sacrifice was enough. And I have to continue to remind myself of that and to really plug into that. And um, and I think that that's why, you know, I chose, chose to get that tattooed is just literally like they talk about in the Old Testament about, you know, writing things on their foreheads and on their arms and just different things. And this is my constant reminder. You know, I mean, I know we have the Holy Spirit now to remind us and to do all those things. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm such a visual person that it's nice to have this visual reminder that, you know, God is enough. Um, I am enough in Him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't matter what I what I do. It's just, it's again, it's about that open and contrite heart. Um, that he desires and that he says he looks for. He scours the earth to find. Um, and that's all that I can do is to stay open and um, and willing, you know, to do what he asks us to do. And when we really focus on that, really all the, that other stuff fades away. But it's just about really choosing, choosing to to see that. And to and to be willing to be open to him, you know, revealing more of that in us. So that's basically kind of what that what that means. Because yeah, I think it's always going to be a struggle for me to go back to that. Mm-hmm. I just I feel like we're the same person in so many ways <laughs> because that's exactly <laughs> what I've. I mean, just even just here recently, I've realized that I'm working so hard for what mm-hmm. a, but also for who, right? Because is it for myself? Is it for Brian? I, I realized that like I was asking him to be my entire approval system. Mm-hmm. And when he didn't give that to me, I felt like a massive failure in every way possible. And mm-hmm. it took him saying like, that's too much for me. I, I like, I'm not God. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to realize that I wasn't even working for God's approval. I was working for the world's approval for my own approval mm-hmm. for Brian's mm-hmm. approval. And I wasn't ever going to get that. And that I'm enough because God says I am. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason. Yep. That's the only reason I need. Right. Um, and that w- coupled with anxiety, that's that's hard. Mm-hmm. Because that feeling of even allowing yourself to think that you're enough oh, feels really scary. It does. It feels like a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Whew. I know. It's a lot of, yeah. It's a process. Mm-hmm. Baby steps. Have you seen the movie What About Bob? I haven't. Oh my goodness, you've got to see it. It's about, yeah, but in the, in the book, he talks about baby steps. This um, psychologist writes a book called baby steps. And, um, anyway, it's just cute, but he (laughs) talks about baby steps down the hall, baby steps, you know, and it's just, I feel like sometimes that's just my life. I'm like, okay, I'm going to baby step (laughs) into here. I, I can do this. I can do this. Um, and I have this quote on my, on my, um, 
cabinet in the kitchen where I do dishes and I can see it every day. And it says, um, successful mothers are not those who never struggle. Successful mothers are those who never give up despite the struggle. Mm. And that has just been an amazing um, reminder for me because the perfectionist in me says, well, to never struggle is to be a good mom, but it's to never give up despite your struggles and to push through and to always strive to be better um, for your kids, for yourself. Um, and, and, but in a way that is, that is healthy. And that's what I am. I'm learning through this journey. Like how, what does that look like to have a healthy strive, you know, a healthy drive towards, um, just life. So, yeah. Mm. Good stuff, girl. Mm -hmm. Like good, good stuff. And again, it's hard because I feel like we could just keep going and going, but I do want to ask you these closing questions. Are you cool with that? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So you've already answered, you know, what, um, what do you wish someone had told you at the beginning of this? Yes. Sorry. I jumped the gun. No, no, no. You're totally, it's fine. Um, it's great. But, uh, now I'm like, wait, what comes next? Cause I have this like list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the next one is, um, what do you wish you had done differently? I think just, I, I know it would have been a struggle for me, but just had more grace for myself. Mm. Like, honestly. Um, yeah. Amen. And, and just been honest with myself too. Cause I think a lot of it, um, one of my biggest struggles and one of my biggest sources of anxiety that I can't believe I didn't really touch on, but was I, I would hear other people's stories. And of course, you know, we as humans always love to give the, um, the, the perfect, you know, scenario. And so everyone would leave out that, you know, when I, when I, that I didn't love my adopted child fully and to the degree that I initially had loved my biological children. Right. And, um, and I would hear so many people's stories and they'd be like, just instantly I saw them and I just fell madly in love with them. And, and that's wonderful. And I am not, I'm not belittling those people's stories. I'm not belittling the fact that they truly felt that way. But for me, it, it what, that was not my story. Yeah. And um, my story came from consistent um, care and care grew to love. Um, and, um, and so just having grace for myself and being honest with myself and not being afraid of that. Uh, cause I think I, I was even afraid to even admit that to myself, like that I initially did not feel the same for him the way I felt for my biological children. But if I had just been honest and, um, and I think I was finally with, with my husband, like in a moment of vulnerability, I told him, I'm like, I, I this is what I'm struggling with. Cause I just didn't know how he was going to respond to me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh my gosh, I feel the same way. And he's like, what do we do about this? And I'm like, I think we just stop what we're doing right now. And we pray about it. <laughs> and we did. And we just held hands and we prayed that God would give us love in our hearts. Um, um, a father's love and a mother's love for writer. And, God did. I mean, he's so good to answer us and um and to do those things. So um so yes, so that was just um that was, you know, what I it's just good to have that grace for yourself and it's good to um to just be honest and open. And I wish that I had that's what I had done differently. Yeah. It's just been like that from the beginning. And I'm so glad you said that because that's another thing that um, everyone experiences and no one talks about. Right. Um, Because, yeah, that was was a shame. The shame. Absolutely. Involved in it. 
Well, and I think that it, it, you know, it can come out of a good place of you not wanting to hurt someone, but then it can also, it, it's definitely a shame. And I felt like that was some line I needed to get to. Mm-hmm. Like, here's the mark of where my, I love my biological kids and here's where I am, you know, moving my hand down mm-hmm. and I need to get there. Right. And it was, it was through that struggle that God was like, this is a lifelong thing, sister, like mm-hmm. buckle up. This is not just like instant right. everything's great like that's the whole mm-hmm. refinement process and i i think that's another thing that for me i thought adoption was not going to be about me mm-hmm. that was going to be about the kids right and how i was going to save them it, and yes uh-huh. everything and it was not like i think it, it took me a while for uh i don't know i'm sure god was saying it the whole time but for me to hear him say <laughs> Like this is, I'm refining you too. Right. Like this is going to hurt, but you're going to be better for it. Exactly. (sighs) Um, Sanctification at its finest. Yes, girl. Um, Okay. So what is your favorite way that your tribe supported you through your process or is supporting you currently? I don't know. Yes. Yes. Either or. Um, I think just, I'm such a quality time person. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so you know, love for me is by spending time with me. And, uh, and so just like my mother, especially, um, she would come over and we would literally, cause my, you know, my husband had to work and I was drowning and God really used her in my life. She would come over every day and she would literally like, you know, <laughs> saddle up and she would help me parent these kids um and until you know luke got home and sometimes even afterwards you know um depending on how the day went you know um and it was just really great like i just felt so loved and so supported and we had multiple friends you know that would do the same thing like friends that would take kids for a night um um, sometimes the foster kids or um you know so that our family could just kind of incubate and um and just be together. Um, or they would take, you know, my mom would take all of the kids at the time. It was just four and, uh, she'd take all the kids, you know, and, and, and so that Luke and I could spend time together, you know, just, just anything really, because it just means so much that people are just think of you during that time. Um, really any little thing, bringing meals, you know, um, practically loving you, but also kind of lavishly loving you too, because I think, so many people are so good at like practically loving you. Anybody can ba- make a meal, but it really does something when someone gives of their time for mm-hmm. you or will help you fold your laundry. You know, I mean, stuff that nobody really wants to do, but but they do for you. That shows real love and support. So, yes, folding your laundry and telling you not to like to just sit there. Right. Because I think that there's, as that mom, you're like, oh. what do I do with my hands? Exactly. Like, while people are doing things for you. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> you're like, do I just sit here? Do I help? Like, mm-hmm. No idea. But yes. Oh, my gosh. That's such a good answer because you're right. Like, the time is so, and and I think that giving your, giving your friends or um, as a support system, giving yourself t- the freedom to sometimes, sometimes not do anything with mm-hmm. that time, but just yes. to be there. Yes. Because sometimes we don't need to talk anymore because right. we have been talking all day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just need to like 
sit and watch a movie and mm-hmm. have you there with us right. to not feel alone. Yes. And sometimes that feels hard because it doesn't feel like you're doing anything, but it's the, it, that's the biggest thing for me. I'm like, mm-hmm. I literally just want you to like come and sit by me. Mm-hmm. Ugh, good stuff. Yes. So on the flip side of that, what is a way that you felt hurt or unsupported? Um, I think kind of two things. One is um, when people would make automatically make excuses for me. Like, um, oh, you know, we we wanted to invite you, but we just assumed you were just really busy. I mean, I know you've got so much going on. Or even just things of, um, you know, uh, oh, we we were helping so-and-so and, you know, we just, we didn't ask you because we know that you've already got so much going on. And it's like, please let me decide for me what is good for me. And and not in a bad way. I mean, their 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 intentions were truly good, but it was hurtful, you know, because it's it's just because I think the 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 lie is that you're being forgotten because it's lonely. It can be lonely at times. Um especially when you a- adopt children from hard places mm-hmm. that are throwing temper tantrums and are difficult to be around at times. Um and so when those friendships would pull away, you know, we had some friends that just pulled away and that was too much for them. And, you know, on one side, it's like good for them for, I guess, knowing their boundaries. But at the same time, it was hurtful because it was just, you know, it, it's just it's it's hurtful because you you're going through a, a time and a situation where you desperately need community and to have people pull away just feels kind of like a double slap in the face. Um, so I think you know, not to put shame on other people, but just, and I think too, it's, it's sometimes easy to pull away because they just don't know what to do. Right. Um, and so I think just being really persistent, you know, and just asking, here's the thing, I'm going to do something for you today. I don't want to hear, I don't know, or, oh, it's, I'm okay. I'm going to do something for you. So you need to think of something that that I can do for you and I am going to do it and I'm not taking no for an answer. Mm-hmm. And I've learned I've learned that through this process, you know, just with any sort of like grief or any scenario, you know, of just being persistent with people because it's so easy to go because I mean and and especially for for perfectionistic people, you know, to say, "What do you need?" "Oh, I'm fine." You know, "I'm okay. I've got this. I'm fine." You know, to just kind of push through that. Yeah. So. Or think of something that you couldn't just do yourself or whatever. Right. It's, yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm like resonating. As you're, <laughs> there's so much there. Yes. So, okay. What's your favorite resource? Honestly, I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, I probably should have some really great like child resource and all of that. But I think that I would have to say that I know she's not everybody's cup of tea, but I love me some Joyce Myers and Mm -hmm. a book that has been instrumental in my walk during this time is, is the book that she wrote. um, The battle belongs to the Lord. And it is just an amazing book for me because it's, it's my favorite resource because of that whole, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And I can't effectively parent if I am desperately struggling. So I need to get right. I need to, I need to process and work through things and um so that and and to fill my cup so that the overflow, you know, can can affect my kids. And so um I really I really enjoy Joyce Myers. She's got a podcast, I mean, you know, just like an app that you can click on and you can hear anything from 15 minute little snippets to, you know, 30 minutes or whatever and she just has so much wisdom and um but especially that that battle belongs to the Lord. It's just been a good one for me. And then if I did have to say some kids stuff, um 
the um, the connected child is always a really good one to kind of help people help you understand and kind of work through some stuff. And um, and then that book, Loving Your Kids on Purpose by Danny Silk. Uh, that's a really good book too. It's kind of more of a biblical perspective and how to, and um, a book that was recommended to me that I have not read, but I really um, would like to, and it's called When Love is Not Enough. And it's specifically for children that have experienced RAD, which is reactive attachment disorder, which we've had quite a few come through our home. And um, the kids that we currently have, I mean, our our son and then also the foster children that we have don't don't struggle with with RAD right now, reactive attachment disorder, but some kids in the past have. But I think it's also just a good, it's just, it's a topic that I just think that sometimes it's a hard one to go to, too, when love is not enough. And and, um, you know, I think you, you think too, you can come to the ends of yourself too, um, as far as d- depression. Like I know that I have, when I have felt like I have given and given and given and given and loved to the, to the maximum capacity that I know how, and these children are still either not benefiting or they're still, um, struggling. And that makes me feel like a failure. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. And can't then I get it. angry. I, yeah, I can't fix it. I cannot fix this for them. And, um, and that's been a source of anxiety. And then, you know, and, and, and I think that it's just really, but it does go back to the Lord. Like our love is never going to be enough, but his is. Yes. And his is always sufficient. Always, um, good enough. And, um, and so just reminding myself of that and giving these children to him daily. Yeah. They're not mine, Lord, they're yours. And this battle is yours. It's it's not mine. I am a participant, a willing participant, but this battle is yours. I love that you started with a a self-care type book because that's I mean, that's why the podcast exists, because mm-hmm. there are granted, there's not as many eyes on adoptive kids, adopted kids, excuse me, as there are on not adopted kids, mm-hmm. but there's even fewer eyes for adopted parents. Oh, you know, there's, there's lots of books out there saying, here's how to parent your adopted child, or here's how to walk through adoption, you know, and whatever else. But there's so few resources out there looking at moms. And so I love that you started with that because that's exactly what, um, that's, ex- I, I think that that's what the listeners want to hear. They want to hear like, where can I go for me? Mm-hmm. Because you're right. We can't pour from an empty cup. No. And if we're completely just dead inside, our kids are going to see that even though we might be keeping them alive. Right. <laughs> Um, it's, you know, no one's thriving there. Right. And so I'm excited. I I wrote down the books you just mentioned and I'll be putting those in the show notes so you can read about them and order them if you're listening to this. Um, and my last question is if you could just sum it all up, what's your biggest piece of advice or encouragement to adoptive moms, adoptive families? It's so simple, but everyone's journey is not the same. Mm. And just really asking the lord for grace for you know if whether you're a your support to someone and you haven't experienced it just asking god to to help give you grace and to help give you understanding um or even if it's you know another adoptive mom and they just do things a little bit differently or um maybe they haven't worked through things to the level to which you have you know just having grace and just you know, really just loving them because I feel like there's just so, it's so easy to judge, 
you know, especially in our culture. And so I think just realizing that not everybody's journey is the same. It's going to look very different, but it's about like, it's about how we get to that end point and how we are conformed more to the image of Christ, you know, through it. So Mm. I love it. Like seriously, just such good stuff. And, um, I am, I'm just excited that we got to sit down and talk about this stuff because you're, you're right. It's an incredibly hard topic, but I think it's so important because there are just not a lot of people willing to talk about it. Right. So I'm appreciative to you for being willing and always for your wisdom and ridiculous scripture knowledge and just all the things. So, well, likewise. <laughs> well, thanks, Ashley. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.